belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message from May 22nd, 2022 is called Let It Grow. The teacher is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning again. My name is John Ray. Uh, this is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you're listening on the podcast or watching on the Facebook feed, we are really glad you're here. How many of you have read Frederick Beekner? Anybody in here? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a while back, from a while back, but he's an incredibly talented author. If you're looking for something to read, I'd read, I recommend Beekner highly. He once wrote that on her deathbed, Gertrude Stein is said to have asked, what is the answer? Then, after a long silence, ask, what is the question? He says, we don't start, he says, don't start looking in the Bible for the answers it gives. Start by listening to the questions it asks. Parables are stories, they tell stories, but they also ask questions. They ask questions about our assumptions about how things work, the nature of reality, who we are, who God is, what are we responsible for, what is God responsible for. The questions that the Bible asks are profound and plenteous. One of the biggest questions the Bible asks is what is the kingdom of God like? Now again, in our modern culture, kingdom of God sounds like a churchy word, sounds like a churchy concept. But we understand, again, we have to keep going back to the gospel, the proclamation of the good news. Jesus' message was rejoice. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. It's the core essence of the message that Jesus preached. And so we can't, even though we're uncomfortable with that language, or it, or it sounds kind of you know, medieval maybe, we have to embrace it. We have to ask questions about it. We have to learn what it means. So let's, let's look at our text this week. We're in the third of four weeks where we're looking at parables of Jesus as presented in Mark. <clears throat> and this week we're looking at a very short parable. Starts in Mark, Mark 4, verse 26. He also said, the kingdom of God is like, now let's stop for a minute. So when you say something like this, the kingdom of God is like, it, it presumes that there is a question being asked. What is the kingdom of God like? Jesus goes on to say, the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. He goes to sleep and gets up night, day. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. By itself, the soil produces a crop. First the stalk, then the head, then the full grain then the in the head. And when the grain is ripe, he sends the sickle because the harvest has come. And so what we see here is that the kingdom of God, in, in asking the question, what is the kingdom of God? We see that the kingdom of God is an invitation to trust that God is at work. That there are things happening that we cannot see or understand or even influence necessarily. That, that God is at work. Things are happening that are mysterious to us, that are unseen to us, that we cannot fully comprehend, but we trust that they're happening. 
There's something going on here. And then we have to ask the question, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a world? What does that mean for us as a church? We're going to look at that this morning. But one thing we see is that antithetical to the life in the kingdom of God is taking responsibility for things that we are not supposed to be responsible for. I had a friend one time who had a shirt, and on the shirt it said, Glutton for Responsibility. I, I would any, anybody else feel that in here? Just being a glutton for responsibility, right? You take responsibility for things. I, I've I really have come to see that my primary response whenever I'm counseling anyone, and I'm not a counselor, so it's not that specific sense. But whenever I'm talking with someone who's facing a problem, I, one of the first things I have to help people do is help them discern what are you responsible for and what are you not responsible for. Because so much of our anxiety in life is we're taking responsibility for things we're not supposed to be responsible for. Now the other side, we, we get the other side as well, right? Is that we're not being responsible for things that we should be. So this area of, of understanding this, this question, what is the kingdom of God is like? What is God responsible for? What are we responsible for? These are essential questions that we all have to deal with, and not just once, but in an ongoing basis and in a variety of areas, we have to deal with these things. It also understands that this is a call to, for us to participate, right? We, we may, in this parable, I think we are the sower. We are the ones out there doing, we're like sowing seed, and we're reaping harvest. We're just not making it grow here with this. Now, let's, let's review a little bit in the, in the purpose of parables because I think when we talk about this responsibility, this, this is going to be key to us. If we, verse, if we jump back just a few verses, and starting in verse 10 where Jesus was telling about the parables, he said this. He's talking to his disciples. He says, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about parables. He said to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything is in parables. So although they look, they may not, and then he quotes Isaiah, so although they may look, but not see, although they hear, they may not hear, but not understand. So they may not repent and be forgiven. We talked about the implications of that a few weeks ago. But, but what's key here is that there is a temptation when we get into this realm to start to think that there is some kind of secret, mysterious knowledge that we're going to get having the inside track on things. We're going to talk about how that can be abused here in just a minute. But we do need to understand that the parables are there to show us something that we couldn't otherwise see. We talked a lot about the, the teaching team this week that, you know, literally, the, if you look at the Greek, the, the image that a parable gives is laying one side alongside another, throwing something out there to say, this is like this. Like, if you want to understand like this, let's throw this alongside so you can understand what that thing is in relationship to it. That's, that's literally the meaning of the word parable. But beyond that, I think parables invite us to understand things through. And help me come up with an easier word for this, y'all. Jane, my wife, will, will give me grief for this because it's the $2 seminary word. But the, the parables are like, they give us a divine epistemology. <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> 
and epistemology is just how do we understand things? How do we know what is true? And how, what, how do we know what is true? And how do we know that it's true? It's a way of understanding. Discernment? Define discernment? Uh, understanding? Anybody else? Divine aha? Uh, yeah, light bulb. It's a God, it's a God bulb. So the parables hopefully give us the God bulb above our head coming on, telling us what it is. But um, we live in a world where the way of knowing, the way of discerning, the way of, of understanding is broken right now. I mean, we just do. We, li- we live in a world where people are making bad decisions based on bad process of understanding with that. Now, that's, that's not new. It's a part of the human condition. We've experienced it all through, but especially now, the voices that are, are that are amplifying this, that are using this broken way of understanding, have a have a megaphone into the world. And because of certain societal and cultural constructs, people are being put in these in these bubbles where that's all they hear. And so it's just it becomes it becomes to seem like it's true. Well, let's go back and see. Like I said, we're not the first ones to answer that or to ask this or to face this problem. Um, Leah and the teaching team this, this week asked a really important question. She was like, well, what, what, what did this mean to the original audience? What would this parable have, mean to, have meant to the original audience? Which is something we do here at Grace. Whenever we're doing the study, we ask, what does it mean to the original audience? And the questions they would have been asking are, are you the Messiah? They would have been looking at Jesus and listening to him and saying, are you the one? And are you the one that is going to do what we think you were supposed to do? Get rid of the Romans. Bring back the practices like we are. Elevate the nation. Get rid of the bad guys. You know, um, break down the barriers. Heal the sick. The poor, raise them up. Bring down the low. All these things. They're, they're looking at Jesus and they're going, are you the one? And instead, instead of saying yes, no, or maybe... He says, well, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a sower. He goes out and sows a seed, and he goes into these parables, and he tells a number of them. We're going to look at another one next week. And that must have been profoundly dissatisfying for the audience. Don't you think? Right? I mean, it would have been like, come on, Jesus. Just tell it to us straight. (laughs) Yeah. Either say yes or no, but something. We got to do, right? But Jesus, no, he, he gives us a parable. And what it does is it forces the people to stop and ask questions. Well, what are my expectations? What am I really longing for? What is it that I really want here? Now, I'm not saying they did that, but that was the invitation of the parable. It's to say, hold on a minute. You're asking me this. Let me ask you something. Jesus does it. That's that's the guy's M.O., first of all. How many times in the Bible do we see someone come in and and ask Jesus a question? He goes, well, what about this? Or what do you think? Or what do you say? He responds by turning the questions back to us with that. Parables are no different. It's a different form of doing that, but it's the same thing. Let's come back. what What are we looking for with this? So, if that's the case, which I, I believe that it is, but again, I submit this to you, 
to discern on your own with your God bulb, light bulb. How do we get this wrong? What are the ways we get this wrong? And there's, obviously the answer is a lot of ways, right? We could all sit here and think, but there's one primary way that our society right now is, is really getting this wrong. And it comes in the form of conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theories, in a way, are a way of constructing reality. They're a way, it's a broken epistemology. It's a broken way of knowing that, that does this. And as, and as I was studying the scripture this week, and as we were discussing and teaching theme, I thought about how, like, parables are like a, and I believe they're designed in a way to be an antidote to conspiracy theories. Because a conspiracy theory, what it does is it constructs a, a meaning of everything. Laura dropped in a quote from Lynn Sweet, which I'll get to here in a little bit. But it, it creates like a, a, a theory of everything where everything fits and has a purpose and is nice and neat and works out. And, and it's also, it's, it gives you secret knowledge. Like it, it puffs you up. It, like you're on the inside, everybody else is on the outside. You're smart, everybody else is dumb. You see, everybody else is blind. Parables challenge that. Parables are turning back, they're turning the thing around and they're going, whoa, whoa, wait up. Let's look at your assumptions first. Let's look at what you're asking. Let's look at what you're doing. Conspiracy theories say, here it is. To the response, they're not frustrating. When you ask, what is it? They'd say, yeah, exactly. You're right. Here it is. Let me show you. Here's how the numbers work. Here's what the camera means. Here's what the signs mean. And they draw this neat little tight little package and they give it to you, right? With that. It's the anti-parable, in a way, with this. And conspiracies thrive. Here's the thing why I address this at church, because, hey, listen, I struggled with talking about this today at church, because I know it can be a politically charged thing, and I don't want this to be political. But, but I have a specific, I believe I have a specific, in a way, we have a specific mandate to counter those that way of thinking, not that conspiracies themselves so much as the way of thinking that leads to conspiracies. Because conspiracies thrive in disoriented Christianity. They thrive in disoriented religion in, in general, but in disoriented Christianity in particular. With that. A conspiracy is... The promise of substance somewhere else. Like it's a way of throwing off and making all the problems someone else's problem. Assigning blame to someone else. Christianity is always looking and saying, where am I? What is my responsibility here? How am, how am I not just part of the answer, but part of the problem with that? Conspiracy is all about othering with that. And this is what um, Leonard um, Sweet said the, that Laura referenced. The appeal of conspiracism is often that it offers a theory of everything, a global meta-narrative that is helping make sense of troubled times. And again, this is why Christianity, Christianity is uniquely posed to speak to troubled times with hope. Conspiracy theories are, also, are often rooted in a false hope. 
It's, it's a hope outside of God. It's a hope outside of the church. Listen, I know it may use a lot of godly language, a lot of Christianese, a lot of Christian symbolism. It's not Christianity. It is anti-God. It is anti-gospel. It is anti-church. And again, that's why we have to kind of speak to it. We have to kind of call it out. Because we'll say, no, that's not what that means. That's not what that's about with that. And, and if you're like me, it's incredibly frustrating because you feel like, where do I even start? Like, like it's like whack-a-mole in one way. All right? You, you knock one down, it pops up somewhere else. And so I'm not calling us, I'm not, I'm not saying that each individual now has to go out on your Facebook and become the, you know, the social media warrior with that, or you know, the next family gathering, you have to stand up and slam your fist on the table. Uncle Fred! <laughs> no, I'm saying that we have a profound responsibility here not to be, not to give in to that. That's the primary thing we have here, is for us not to give in to that. And the way we don't give in to that is not by just Focusing on that thing, okay, right? Because we all know that even even if we're focusing on something that is malicious or untrue, if that is our focus, that has the that has the predominant effect on us. No, we have to look, and that's why we're drawn back to this. We're drawn back to the Word. We're drawn back to the Church. We're drawn back to the Gospel, and to the parable in particular. And we're drawn back into asking questions. We're drawn back into asking questions. What is the kingdom of God like? Where am I seeing this in my life? Where am I living in accordance with, with the kingdom? Where am I not? What am I trusting? What am I taking responsibility for that I shouldn't? And what am I, what should I be taking responsibility for that I'm not? That's, that's the essential thing. That's the antidote to that kind of conspiratorial thinking. Is to start with our epistemology, our discernment, our way of knowing, our way of understanding. And to look to Jesus as the master teacher. To understand it wasn't just what he said that was true, it was how he said it that was true. Jesus shows his work. He doesn't just arrive at the answer and say, do it because I told you so. Why, why, do I, why should I do this, right? Because I said so, young man. No, God's not like that. I mean, yes, there are things we are called to trust in the midst of unknowing. Okay, but living by faith in what God says is much different than just obeying out of I told you so. Two very different things, y'all. Two very different things. Jesus is always inviting us to trust, to live by faith, to say yes, to live by this faith, but also drawing us into saying, and here's why, and here's why, and let me show you why, and come practice this, and follow me, and do this, and see this. Jesus wants to reveal Jesus' self to us. God wants to reveal God's self to us. But again, we talked about this last week. Our, our kind of enlightened methodology is hear it, understand it, and obey it, maybe. And God is calling us to say, hear it, obey it, and understand it. Maybe. I mean, because we're all going to have stuff we don't understand. 
There's just, there's too much out there. It's too complex. Who knows how the seed grows? The soil scientists, the people with agronomy degrees, they can tell us a lot about it. We still don't know. How do, you, how, do, how do plants draw nutrients from the air? We can describe photosynthesis. We can't make photosynthesis. Like, like there's stuff that happens that we are called to live by faith. And I think that, that's what, when we say, what is the kingdom of God is like? It's, it's, it's something that happens by faith. It's something that we, we participate in. It's not just God out there and us, whatever. No, we participate. God invites us to participate. But it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on them. It's going to happen. I get the opportunity. I get the chance. I get the invitation to, to participate. But it's not dependent on me. With me. Instead of some kind of secret knowledge, some kind of mystical understanding that only those with the secret handshake are aware of, we are invited to a whole new, wide-open way of seeing, understanding, and imagining through faith. So as a church, we are called to understand that Jesus' words are an antidote to this conspiratorial thinking, as they are to selfish thinking, hopeless thinking, arrogant thinking, individualistic thinking. Jesus' words act as an antidote to this. And this is interesting, especially as we look at us as a church. Who we are right now. Two plus years of pandemic. Over a million Americans dead. Countless lives affected. Jobs shifted. Economy shifted. Families broken. Relationships strained or not broken, and as a and as a church, weeks and weeks of just meeting online. How do we be the church? When can we get together? What are we going to do? Who's going to serve in what position? How are we going to go forward? Right? It's easy to get overwhelmed by that. It's super easy to start to come up with explanations, and here's where I have. Tremendous sympathy for the conspiratorial thinking because I think in some ways it, it comes from a genuine place like, how do I figure this out? We all have to make sense of the world. We all have to navigate the world. We all have to way of moving through the world, right? So the, the, in a way, the, the essence of it or the, the, the beginning part of it isn't bad. We all have that. It's just, again, the process, the way is broken. But I think it's tempting for us as a church to go, to start wringing our hands. Yeah, we got to do something. Okay, why did that happen? Well, that's that person's fault. We start assigning blame. Their fault, his fault, her fault, my fault. Taking responsibility where we shouldn't. If I had done better, if, if I had done better, if we had done better, right? Starting to take responsibility. Some action do with this. And I thought about this parable, y'all, this week. I'm like, it was just this, this call to come back and say, and trust. You know what God's doing? God is doing God's thing. God is growing something here. 
God is growing something here, has been growing something here, will grow something here. Parts of it are flowering, parts of it are germinating. Parts of it are ready for harvest, parts of it are just coming into bud. That's God's thing, y'all. And man, if we could just all take that deep breath and go, yes, God. Okay. Don't understand it all. But I know you're here. I know you're working. I know you're trusting. It's interesting, though. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we start to transition here in a second. While conspiratorial conspiracy theories rest on this idea of secret knowledge. And we've, have we already established that that's not the way we should think? Yes? Okay, right? We're, the gospel is an antidote to conspiratorial thinking. We're not to think that way. At the same time, there is a secret knowledge in Christianity. Okay? <clears throat> there is a secret knowledge in this. It's the truth. The truth, and the truth seems, or let me put it this way. It seems like there's a secret knowledge because it's not acknowledged by the world. That Christianity holds to a truth that isn't acknowledged by the world. So it sets us apart. Following Jesus does set us apart. I was, I was just reminded, um, Amy uh, wrote this in one of the things, Flannery O'Connor's um, famous quote that says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. <laughs> and that got me riffing on it, because I love this. Um, Gloria Steinem said, you will, the truth will set you free, but first it will tick you off. But my all-time favorite is, uh, is um, David Foster Wallace, who said, the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you first. So yes, there is this truth that seems like a secret knowledge to the rest of the world because it doesn't do it. And it is going to make us odd. And it is going to make us mad. And it is going to work us over, y'all. But it's good and it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Most of us tell ourselves, my friend Paul said, most of us tell ourselves pleasant lies because the truth asks too much of us. I'm here to tell you, there's not a thing that is asked of us that Jesus is not going to be there working. There's not a thing that is asked of us that Jesus is not going to be there with us. As individuals, as families, as the church. So, we have our table set this morning. Our table is open to anyone who wants it. You want some Jesus? Jesus is here. Jesus not, is not only serving, but Jesus is what is served. He himself said, this is my body when he took the bread, broken for you. He said, this is my blood when he took the cup, given to you as a sign of the new covenant. We take that in faith. We take that in faith that Jesus is doing what Jesus said Jesus would do. Jesus is offering what Jesus said he was offering. We take it humbly. We take it together as a group, because there's, there's no head or foot at this table. We're all equal at this table, and everyone is welcome at it. Um, 
This is also the time we reflect. You got something to pray. You got something to say. This is that time to reflect on what has been said and sung here. Just make your intent to do something with it if you're being led to do that. Don't just let it filter out. It's also the time we give. We've got an offering box here, but you can give online. We do that as part of our worship because no one here is without something to give and everyone here has a need. So it's part of our worship to share, to recognize. Just as we take the cup communally together, we come to the table and also share with that. So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.